G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. a plan for our lives. He made us in a certain way. He gave us the gifts to do certain things and he has already prepared those things for us to do. Problem is, amidst the day-to-day grind of life, it's so easy to lose sight of all that. And when we lose sight of it, we inevitably lose our plan. Bernie Diamond, and thanks so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're kicking off a new series of messages called Rekindling the Flame, because each one of us does have a gift, an ability that others don't have. And with all my heart, I know that God wants you to be flowing in your gifting. Amen. So let's head into God's Word and please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes I'll be telling you about our latest life application booklet. It's called Rekindling the Flame and I'd love to send you a free copy to help you be all that God made you to be. It's such a blessing for me to be able to join you again today at the beginning of a new series, and I've called this series Rekindling the Flame, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I get tired. I mean, I love doing what I do. I absolutely love it. Wouldn't be caught dead doing anything else rather than what I'm doing right now. But even when we love doing what we're doing, even when we're serving God with all our heart, sometimes we get tired. Sometimes we get run down. Sometimes so many things around us seem to be going wrong that, well, we can lose our drive or our determination or our direction or our sense of purpose in life. Have you ever found that? Just this morning I was sitting praying, feeling as though I was getting close to running on empty and asking the Lord to fill me afresh, which he did. But this reality of being drained by life, by service, by all the things that we go through is a reality that pops up again and again for most of us. Have you noticed that? So that's why we're going to spend the next few weeks together in God's Word, letting Him speak to us, letting Him into the deepest and darkest places in our hearts to rekindle the flame. And there's no better place to be doing that than the Apostle Paul's second letter to his young protege, Timothy. So let's have a look at how Paul opens up his letter to young Tim. Tim has served with Paul all over the place. In Ephesus, as a courier, they wrote a few of the letters of the New Testament together. So Paul was obviously Timothy's mentor, and as any mentor has for his protege, Paul had a special place in his heart for Tim. Why is this significant? Well, as you and I spend the next few weeks in this letter, my prayer is that in this fatherly warmth that we discover from Paul to Timothy, we too will experience the fatherly warmth from our Father God who's speaking to us through Paul's powerful words. So how does Paul kick off the letter? 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I'm grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, lives in you. For this reason, I want to remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. What a fabulous start. Remember, Paul has been through so much in his life so far. He's been beaten, reviled, he's lost his position and status. He's had murder plots against him, riots, been run out of town, had to flee for his life. Unbelievable stuff. And he starts with a statement, a feisty statement, if you will, of his central purpose in life, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Why does he do what he does? to bring the life that comes only through faith in Jesus out into the lost and hurting world in which he lives. The easiest thing for us to do when we're travelling through difficult times is to lose our focus. But nowhere, not once in any of his letters, do we see Paul do that. He is called by God to be an apostle, one sent out to do the will and the work of God. And as we're going to come to see, this this whole tension between the trials and temptations and tribulations that we go through on the one hand And the call of God in our lives, on the other, can throw us completely off course. That, as it turns out, is what this letter to Timothy is all about. Because Paul wants something special for Timothy, his young protege. There's a special place in Paul's heart for young Timothy. He wants a special blessing for this young man. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see that? Paul wants Timothy to experience grace and mercy and peace from God. And this letter is all about showing him how. Paul's been praying for him, even though he himself's been going through some really, really difficult times. Paul recalls the tough times they've been through in Christ's service together, the tears. And now he takes the opportunity to get Timothy focused on his purpose, focused on his mission. Rick Warren of Saddleback Church in the US is perhaps best known for his book and teaching series, The Purpose Driven Life. But this isn't something that Rick somehow invented in the 21st century. He discovered it right back here in the first century through Paul and others who wouldn't be shaken from the purpose that God had for their lives. And God has such a purpose not just for Paul, but for Timothy. So Paul reminds him of three things. First, the trouble that God's gone to, to hand a deep and powerful faith down to Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. When we're going through tough times, we do well to remember what God has already done in our lives. The faith is placed in our hearts. And secondly, in light of this faith, Paul calls Timothy to do something amazing. Verse 6, For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. Friend, we each have a gift. Something that God's given us that we can do better than just about anyone else that we know. And how easy is it for that gift, that ability, that that dream to become obscured by the cares of this world, the, the sheer grind of living life? You have such a gift. You have such a dream. And when you think about it, back in the first century, rekindling something wasn't that easy. When there were just smouldering embers there, it would require the careful gathering of dry kindling, placing it carefully over the few remaining embers, fanning the flame, seeing it catch to the kindling, placing larger pieces of wood onto it, and then even larger 
before it again became a raging fire. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's telling Timothy to do. This is what I believe God is calling us to do. Is it scary? Yeah, sure it is. Is it difficult? Well, probably. We can only gather here because of what Paul is saying, that Timothy was at risk of losing his way, at risk of losing the purpose that God had placed on his life. And Paul knows that what he's asking young Tim to do is a big ask. So the very next thing he says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Friend, over the coming weeks, we're going to be chatting about rekindling the flame in your heart. Because I believe that many, many people have been drawn away from the purposes of God for their lives by this imposter called success. And I believe with all that I am that God doesn't want us to waste our lives. He wants us to fulfill the destiny that he set out for us before any of our days as yet existed. Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. So often the gifts and abilities that God's given to his people, people like you and me, are still there, but they're dormant. With all my heart, I believe that God wants you to be all that he made you to be, to use those gifts and abilities for his glory. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet. It's called Rekindling the Flame. And it's full of life-changing, practical Bible teaching to help you do just that, to become all that God made you to be. And you know, at the end of each chapter, you'll find some life application questions to help you think through and apply God's Word right into your situation, into your reality. To request your copy, stop by at ChristianityWorks.com and you'll see that free offer right there towards the top of the homepage. Click on it, pop in your name and email, and that e-booklet will be winging its way to your inbox in just seconds. It really is that easy. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.com. Now, the world is pretty clear in telling us what success looks like. And since for most of us, our idea of success is more informed by our culture than God's word, we kind of immersed in it. Living our lives for God, though, often means that in the world's eyes, we look anything but successful. And some of us are ashamed of that. It never ceases to amaze me how different God's plan for success is from the world's plan for success. I mean, you and I, we know the world's plan all too well. We have it shoved in our faces and dangled under our noses at least a hundred times each day. You're successful if you're beautiful, if you're wealthy, if you have power and position, if you have a big house or a new shiny car. That's when you're successful. Just recently, I visited the city of Perth, the capital city of Western Australia, for only the second time in my life. And a good friend of mine, Ben, drove me around to show me the sights. One of the places he took me to was Billionaire's Row, a few streets with some of the most expensive houses in the country. Now, they were lovely houses, but but they were absolutely massive. They were built to make a statement. Look at me. Look at what I can afford. And this image, this model of success, is what we have dangled under our noses so many times each day that it's very easy to start believing it. And that's where we can get our wires crossed. That's where we can start equating the blessing and the favour of God with what the world says makes you successful. 
So then, when things aren't going so well in our lives, when we're travelling through trials or temptations and sometimes even torment, we can so easily come to the conclusion that obviously we must have failed God. Obviously he's not pleased with us. Obviously I'm on the wrong path or in the wrong place. Obviously, right? And so instead of pursuing that one gift that God has placed within us, that one call on our lives to go and to be what God made us to be and what God made us to do, it's so easy to be ashamed of that failure. I remember when I decided to toss in my rather lucrative career as an international IT and management consultant to go into this full-time ministry. One of my colleagues joked with me that, that I was pursuing a career of genteel poverty. It's so easy to be ashamed when we're trying to live out our lives for God and things don't seem to be conforming to the world's ideas of success, to be pulled off course, to give up, to, to head off in another direction. Now, I remember a time not that long ago when here at the Ministry of Christianity Works we were doing things really tough financially and most of the staff hadn't been paid for a few months and someone said to me, Bernie, maybe, maybe it's God telling you that you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're meant to be going back to consulting and earning some serious money. Maybe you're doing the wrong thing being in ministry. This was the day after a young woman, Amy, who had come to my online blog at the point of suicide had been pulled back from the brink because I was able to share the word of God with her, because others who were visiting the blog encouraged her and prayed for her just the day before she'd been at that point of taking her own life. And then she posted this blog. Have a listen to this. She said, Last night I had my first encounter with God. I could actually feel him. Wow, seriously, the best feeling ever. He kept me up practically all night. And unlike last week where I was hiding my face in my pillow so my parents wouldn't hear me crying, Last night, I was hiding my face in my pillow so that my laughter wouldn't wake them up. I kept bursting out in laughter and song and dance while laying in my bed. I'd been crying out to him for so long to let me feel his love and his presence, and he finally answered me. I have never felt this good in my life. It is awesome. Thank you all for your prayers and your words of encouragement, and yay to God. So, listen, go tell Amy that we're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing. You see how easy it is to be misled, to be drawn away from God's greater purposes by mistaking a worldly idea of success for the real thing. Now, this is, this is nothing new. And as the Apostle Paul was encouraging his protege, Timothy, to rekindle the gift that God had placed within him, Paul takes the trouble to talk about this whole tension around success and how you and I can be ashamed. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. Paul says, look, don't be ashamed then of the testimony about your Lord or of me as a prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purposes and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, this good news, that's why I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am absolutely sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Paul suffered in order to bring the good news of Jesus to a lost and hurting world. And before him, Jesus suffered. Jesus became an abject failure that you and I might have eternal life. 
We aren't here to be successful in the world's eyes. We aren't here to get the glory. The one place that I have discovered real fulfilment and real joy and real satisfaction and real life is in taking that one thing that God's given me, the ability to tell a story for him, and using that gift in the way that I am right now. There's an alternative, a clear alternative, to chasing after the world's brand of success. There is a true way, not a way that crosses the wire that equates worldly success with godly success, but a narrow road, an oftentimes difficult road, a road full of trials and temptations that every Christ follower is called to take. And that way is a way that Paul shared with Timothy as he was travelling through his own trials. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Paul said, look, hold on to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. You're aware that all who are in Asia have turned away from me, including Figulus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he has often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well how much service he rendered in Ephesus. See, everyone's deserted Paul in his trials and his afflictions, except one man. Everyone's gone a different way. And in the face of all that, what what does Paul do? Does he take the easy road? Does he chase after the mob? Does he go after public opinion? Does he renounce Christ? Does he base his actions on the opinion polls? No. He writes to his dear friend Timothy and says, look, their opinions aren't worth anything. Stick to God's word. Stick to the sound teaching of Jesus and guard the good treasure that's been entrusted to you with the help and the power and the grace and the mercy of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Paul isn't swayed by opinions. Paul isn't swayed by being locked up in jail and deserted and and all the trials he's gone through. He knows he was called to be an apostle. He knows he was called to be sent out to take the good news of Jesus to a lost and hurting world. He knows that Timothy was called to be a pastor and a teacher, one called to grow people in their faith and their relationship with God. And Paul's not ashamed of the fact that he's locked up. He's not ashamed of the fact that he wears chains for Christ's sake. He's not thrown off course by some imposter called success. He counts as nothing what he's left behind. His seat on the ruling Sanhedrin, the potential to grow a mega following as a leading rabbi in the sect of the Pharisees. And he presses on to follow his calling to exercise his gifts as an apostle. And here's the thing, 2,000 years on, We're still talking about Paul. 2,000 years on, God is still ministering to us through Paul. I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you be all that God made you to be. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional with a powerful scripture verse and some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right to the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each day. You can read it, listen to the audio or watch the daily video. It's completely up to you. God's word, fresh for you each day. And it's completely free. To get instant access, just stop by at ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see the fresh e-devotional sign-up right there at the top of the homepage. And when you do subscribe, you'll instantly receive a free copy of the e-book, 
How can I hear God speak to me? That web address, in case you missed it, is ChristianityWorks.com. So go ahead, sign up to receive fresh, and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through his word. Now, as you and I plug along through life with all the stuff that we have going on, and let's face it, there's way too much of it, right? The easiest thing in the world is to let the dream that God's placed on our heart die. The world tears away at it, and before you know it, you turn around and life is slipping by fast. And seriously, you're at risk of getting to the end and looking back on a wasted life. And that, my friend, is no way to live the rest of your life. I want to finish up today by telling you about a woman with a dream, with a special gift that she'd been nurturing. When she walked out onto the stage, the audience just sneered at her. The judges rolled their eyes. She was 48 years old by her own admission, never been married, never been kissed. She was unemployed and still looking. Her hair was a mess. Her her bushy eyebrows reminded me powerfully of a forest. She was frumpy at best. Her, Her dress looked like something my mother used to wear back in the 60s. She'd been singing since she was 12 years old, she told us, and she'd always wanted to sing in front of a large audience. After she pranced out onto the stage and did a weird little jig, she was really quite eccentric, you know. One of the judges asked her what she dreamed of becoming. A professional singer, she answered. The judges and the audience were incredulous. And why hasn't it worked out for you so far, one of the judges asked her. They all poked fun at her. They were brutal. But she stood her ground. Again, one of the judges inquired, What are you going to be singing for us tonight? I dreamed a dream from Les Miserables, she said. And on her thumbs up, the audio technician pressed the button. The music began to play. She opened her mouth and began to sing. And we were all utterly gobsmacked. She sang with the voice of an angel. She sang with the power and the poise and the presence of a diva who'd graced the greatest opera stages of the world all her life. Words fail me in describing her performance that night. She brought the house down. Her name, of course, is Susan Boyle. The show was Britain's Got Talent in 2009 and within just a few weeks over 100 million people had watched this video clip on YouTube. 100 million! Now I've watched that video, it's just 7 minutes and 7 seconds long. I've watched it online several times now and not once have I finished with a dry eye. The world wanted to judge this book by its cover. But before she walked out on the stage, she told the interviewer, I am going to make this audience rock. No one believed her. No one believed her until she opened her mouth to sing these words from the stunning musical Les Miserables. I can only write them. I can't sing them to you the way she did. But but let the lyrics do their work in your heart anyway. She sang, I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and, and life was worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid, and and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers came at night, with their voices soft as thunder, as they tear your hope apart, and they turn your dream to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell that I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. Those beautiful words touch us so deeply inside somewhere because they are the story of many a life. We start off with dreams about who we'll be and and what we'll do and, 
And when we're young, they, they tend to be bold dreams, noble dreams, altruistic dreams, dreams that find their roots somewhere deep down in our DNA, dreams about living a life that somehow we're meant to be living. Friend, that dream comes from God because God made us to be who we are. God made us to do the things that he prepared for us beforehand to do. And you see, this is why Paul goes to young Timothy. Timothy's ministering in a church. It's a tough gig. It's full of trials. It's full of grind. It's full of challenges. And the easiest thing in the world would be for Timothy to forget the gift that God gave him, to forget the call that God placed on his life, to wander off and say, this is just too hard. I'm, I'm out of here. I can't deal with these people. And so Paul writes to him to remind him to rekindle the gift that God had placed within him through the laying on of Paul's hands. Friend, you have a gift. No doubt you have a dream. It may be buried under, under years of neglect. It may be buried under, under layers of muck. But God has placed a gift in you. God has given you the ability to do something that you can do better than just about anybody else that you know. And can I ask you something? Why do you think God put that gift in you? Why do you think God made you a certain way? Let me tell you. Because his plan was always for you to use the gift that he'd given you. Not just for yourself, but for other people. For you to give that gift away. To touch other people with the love of Christ. Before I go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. Our passion here at Christianity Works is to see your life powerfully transformed as you draw ever closer in a rich, dynamic relationship with Jesus. So let me encourage you to check out the treasure trove of practical, relevant and life-changing Bible teaching on our website, ChristianityWorks.com. It's full of free resources to help you draw closer to God. So dive into that media lounge to watch our weekly Christianity Works television broadcast or the daily fresh devotional videos. Everything's been conveniently categorized so that you can easily filter the content to quickly lay hold of just the teaching you need for whatever you're going through today. And when you do get in touch, please don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet I mentioned earlier. It's called Rekindling the Flame, and it's all about helping you become all that God made you to be. With all my heart, I know that Jesus wants to have a powerful impact on your life to bring you his joy, his peace, and his power. So go on, head across to the mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, and check it out. I'm Bernie Diamond. I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.